All right. Well, we're here to enjoy God's Word together, yes? yes. All right. Let me ask you to take your Bible then and uh, join me in Galatians chapter 3 for starters. Galatians chapter 3. If you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand and uh, we'll be glad to share a copy of God's Word with you. And if you're visiting IBC for the very first time, so glad to have you with us today. And we just trust that uh, what you see in here is not only just with our music and all the other parts of our time together, but our time together in the Word, that it would just cause you to want to come back again and spend more time with us. And if you're looking for a church home, we'd love to uh, just respond to that with any questions that you might have. We'll be glad to try to answer those and help you feel welcome here at IBC. Galatians chapter 3. You've got your Bibles now. There's a note page in your bulletin as well. I encourage you to grab that. It might be helpful to you. And Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, as we open your book this morning, we know that you wrote the book. Holy Spirit, these are your words from the heart of our God to us. And so who better than to you uh, to ask for uh, help in unpacking this and discovering the riches of your word and how that would make make a difference in our life. And so this is your time. We give it to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen and amen. It is in the book of Galatians that the Apostle Paul sets out to answer the most important question in the universe, which is, how is a sinner saved from an eternity separated from holy God because of the sin in his or her life? How is a sinner, which every one of us in this room and in this world are, How is a guilty, unrighteous sinner made not guilty and fully righteous before a holy God? There is not a more important question that you and I will ever face, ever be asked, ever confront than this question. Would you agree with that? Because the way we answer this question determines where we spend eternity. In heaven with uh, the Lord of glory or separated from him forever in a place that we don't even want to imagine, a place called hell. How does a condemned to hell sinner receive the undeserved gift and blessing of being with God, being in his heaven, being with him forever? That's the question that the book of Galatians answers. It is, is it by striving to, to be a good person? Is that how, it, how this happens? Is it, is it through being... Uh, Diligent to pursue the virtues of love and kindness and forgiveness and running hard after those things. Is it is it by by doing good deeds? Is that how we how is that how we merit a place in God's kingdom? Is it by adhering to a code, a bunch of religious rules, customs, traditions, practices? Is that how it happens? There are literally hundreds. Hundreds of belief systems in our world that would say, yes, this is exactly how you enter into a relationship with God. You earn that by doing or being in all those ways. On the other hand, is it possible that God would be pleased to give salvation as a gift to any sinner who would place his or her faith fully and completely in what God has already graciously done for us through the death of Jesus on a cross. Nothing else added. Is it possible? Faith alone in a historic death and resurrection, God's Son dying, rising from the dead, the promise of eternal life given to the sinner through faith 
in what he has already done. Jesus plus nothing equaling everything. Which is it? Is it salvation by good works that we do or is it salvation through simple faith in the finished work that Jesus has already done? What is it? Simple faith in Jesus? Nothing else added? Fantastic. Let me close in prayer. (laughs) You know that's not going to happen, right? (laughs) One day I will surprise you, church family, and this is exactly what we'll do. You got it. We're going to be going home, but not today. Seriously, though, you are absolutely right. It is Jesus plus nothing equals everything for you and I. Not that there is not a place for works and, and, and good deeds and a, and a virtuous character and all of that in our life as a Christian. We're not saying that there isn't a place for that, but that's not how we're saved. That's the, that's the evidence of our savedness, isn't it? That's our expression of our, our love for God that we want to do things for him, but that's not our salvation. Our faith poured into what he has already done for us saves us from an eternity without God. Look again at Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Your Bible is open close to that place. We've been over this ground, but let me just refresh our memories for just a moment. Look at what Paul writes to his Galatian friends. He says, we know that a person is not justified. That means pronounced not guilty and fully righteous by holy God. That's what justified means. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified, pronounced not guilty, fully righteous by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Could it be any more clear? than it is in this one verse. And then verse 21, Paul adds, for if righteousness were through the law, if it were through doing good deeds for God, then Christ died for no purpose. If we can save ourselves by our own effort, we don't need a savior. And Paul says that's absolutely not not the case. Now, the apostle Paul, directed by the Holy Spirit, was compelled to write this truth if you recall, because he has friends in the Asian province of Galatia. They are brand new Christians, and they're being preyed upon by false teachers called Judaizers. You remember this? Yes, their, their message was, hey, hey, keep Jesus. You, you believe in Jesus. That's, that's all right. But, but be sure that you practice all of the rules and the customs, and the traditions and the laws of the Jewish people. Basically, believe in Jesus and be Jewish if you want to be truly saved. That was the Judaizers' message. It was a false gospel. It was very dangerous. It's Jesus plus other things equals everything. It equals eternal life. And Paul says, no way, never. And so as we come now to chapters 3 and 4 in our ongoing verse-by-verse journey through this amazing book, I think this is this is. Session 8, time 8 that we've been in the book, Paul is going to now in chapters 3 and 4 systematically dismantle the Judaizers' false gospel and show the Galatians 
how the true gospel has always and only ever been by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus' death and resurrection alone. And Paul does that in two ways. First, in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, which we've already looked at, looked at it last time, he takes the Galatians down memory lane, so to speak, and he reminds them again of what got them into a personal relationship with the living God in the first place. It it wasn't allegiance to to dutiful Jewish rule-keeping. It was faith alone in Jesus alone. That's how their relationship with God began. And so he reminds them of that as part of the proof of faith in Jesus saves. So look again with me, just by way of gaining a little traction, helping those who haven't been with us as well to to get their footing. But verse 1, chapter 3, here's what Paul writes. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians. And if you remember, what he basically is saying in a very kind-hearted way is, Oh, you knuckleheads. Remember that? Oh, foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? Who has confused you and fooled you and of course we know it was the judaizers and their their false message it was before your eyes that jesus christ was publicly portrayed as crucified let me ask you only this did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh In other words, are you being made better now before God by your own self-effort, having started with Jesus only? Verse 4, did you suffer? Did you experience so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? And so Paul is saying to these baby Galatian believers, these Christians, your own personal salvation experience should confirm to you that good works and Jewish customs don't save you. Just think about how you started. That's not how you started with God. That wasn't your experience. Verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? What's the obvious answer? By faith. So so Paul is saying in verses 1 through 5, listen, stay with what got you to God. Don't, don't go off in some other direction. Don't be tricked. Don't be fooled. Stay with what got you to God. It was Jesus alone, your faith in him. Now, Paul understands that, that, that while personal experience has value in, in shaping his friend's faith convictions, he knows that can't be it, all of it. That can't be the only proof. Experiences in our life, they're, they're valid, they're important, and we draw upon them. But our experiences can be challenged. They can be second-guessed. They can be manipulated, misinterpreted. They can be edited over time. And so simply relying on one's personal experience as a proof of enduring salvation doctrine would not be enough. And Paul understands that. His Galatian friends, they came to faith about a year and a half before this. And so their experience of coming to faith in Jesus is is real, it's fresh, it's alive, and so he can call upon it. He can say, remember how you came to faith in Jesus. But he knows that they're going to need something more enduring uh, to rest their salvation convictions on than just their own experience. And so beginning at verse 6 of chapter 3 and going clear to the end of chapter 4, Paul's going to draw upon Old Testament scripture to prove that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus alone. 
He's going to use Scripture. Now, that doesn't change, does it, over time? That is rock solid. And so he turns in that direction. Yeah, experience has a place, but let me take you to the Word of God. And all he has is the Old Testament at this time. He's actually part of the of God's process of writing the New Testament. So he doesn't draw upon that. But he's going to prove to the Galatians that it has only ever been faith that saves, never good works, and that that has been true going all the way back to God's relationship with Abraham, almost the, back to the very beginning. And that brings us to, our, to the next part of our study together. We're going to look at verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 of chapter 3. We're just burning it up, aren't we, folks? I kind of, I say that tongue-in-cheek. I mean, we need to move forward and we need to move at a pace, but there is so much here. There is so much here that to race over it would not be fair to you. And we really don't have an in-game time frame. We're just going to get through this as God gives us the, the, the freedom to do that. So, few more verses today in our ongoing study of Galatians. Take you back to verse 5 one more time. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The obvious answer, faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. And we'll stop right there. Now, what we just read is going to take a little bit of work to to unpack for us, but it'll be worth every bit of it. Now, for Paul to turn his defense of faith in Jesus alone and turn in this direction, in the direction of Abraham, this is an absolute masterstroke. And here's why. Paul is defending the Galatians against the claims of the, again, the Judaizers, right? So Jewish false teachers, they most likely have all come from Jerusalem and they come to, to prey on these new believers. And so Paul is defending the Galatians against the Judaizers. And they're saying, hey, it's great that you have faith in Jesus, but you really, if you really want to be with God and fully saved, you need to be like us Jews. You, you need to be Jewish plus believe in Jesus. Well, church family, who is the father of the Jewish people? Who is it? It's Abraham. And so this is brilliant. Directed by the Holy Spirit, Paul's going to turn to the false teacher's very own founding father, if you will, as a powerful example to prove his case that faith not works saves. Paul, in effect, says to these non-Jewish Galatian believers, oh, my dear friends, my, my dear friends, do you remember Abraham of old? Well, you and he have a lot in common. Though he's Jewish and you're Gentile, you have a whole lot in common. Consider Abraham, Paul says. Consider Abraham because the founding ancestor of all the Jews will show you that you have been bewitched. You've been fooled. You've been tricked by these false teachers. Because if you look at Abraham, you will see a man, verse 6, who believed God 
and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Not one mention about works or obeying some laws. Abraham, the first and foremost Jew of all Jews, was, Paul says in verse 9, a man of faith, not a man of works. Paul is saying, put the question here. Does faith save or does works save? Put that question to Abraham and the answer that will come back is faith saves. And so Paul wants to talk about that. He loves to use Abraham as an illustration of faith alone salvation because God pronounced him justified, fully righteous, holy in his sight, long before he ever did any meritorious or commendable thing for God. Before performing any good works unto God, before he took the sign of the covenant in Genesis 17, before he did that amazing demonstration of faith on, in Genesis 22 when he offered up Isaac as a potential sacrifice, and, and, and centuries before the Ten Commandments are even given in Exodus chapter 20, God has already declared Abraham righteous, justified, solely on the basis of the fact that Abraham believed God. Believed what God promised. And God said, that's all I'm looking for. I'm looking for a man, a woman of faith. So in order to kind of get our hands and our heads and hearts around this, keep a finger tucked here in Galatians. Let's go back into the Old Testament. Let's go back to the places that Paul is alluding to. Let's take a closer look at what he's trying to show his friends. Run all the way back to the first book in your Bible, to Genesis chapter 12. Here in 12 is where God first calls Abraham into a personal relationship with God. And if you've been in the church for a long time, if you grew up in the church, maybe you can remember the flannel graphs. As a little kid in your Sunday school class, Abraham and God calling him and all of that. If not, this may be new ground for you, so we'll try to help get you up to speed. Chapter 12, this is where God introduces himself to Abraham. Verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Take special note of that line, church family, because Paul's going to refer to that in Galatians 3. And then verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And we'll stop right there. What an amazing thing God does here in these verses. Let's not miss this. Abraham has done nothing himself to deserve what God declares is going to be this incredible future that lays out in front of him. For all we know, Abraham was a, was a guy who was just doing life with his family and and uh, he, he was a, just in the, in, in the ancient Middle East, just trying to do life, trying to survive, just doing his thing. No particular faith at all. Or more likely, he was perhaps a man of, of, of faith in pagan deities. We, we don't know. But we don't think, nothing indicates that he was seeking after or hungry for God. We're never told that. It's like he, he didn't do anything. And God shows up one day in Genesis 12. 
Every bit of what we just read is initiated by God. He wants to lavish his love on this man. He wants to birth a nation. He wants to bless the people of the whole earth because it's what he wants to do. Not because of anything Abraham has done. By God's grace alone, he determines to bless Abraham. What he will ultimately bring bring to Abraham isn't based on anything that he does. Abraham doesn't come to God and say, Hey, you know what, God? can Can we work out an arrangement here? I'll do this and this and this, and I'll work really hard to do this. And if I do all of these things really well, would you be pleased to bless me in this way and this way and this way? And that's not how it happens. It's God coming to Abraham and making an incredible promise to him simply because God wants to do this. Abraham, I will make you a great nation. And as a result, you will be great. But what I'm really going to do, Abraham, is I'm going to bless all the nations of the world, all the nations of the whole earth through you, through one who is going to come from your nation, who's going to come from your line. And, of course, we know that that is an Old Testament reference to who? That's that's an Old Testament reference to Jesus. That's a promise of Jesus coming. I will bless the Jews who will be descended from you, but I will bless all the non-Jewish peoples, the Gentiles, through you as well. And what does Genesis 12 verse 4 say that Abraham did after receiving this promise from God? What does he do? He went as the Lord had told him. And that's it. Abraham simply took God at his word He believed what God said. He packs up his family and he heads for Canaan, which will be the future home of the nation of Israel. He puts his faith, his full trust in what God has said, and he simply goes. Faith only. Paul wants the the Galatians to understand this happened. Now, he wants to put a little more meat on the bone, and so he wants us to turn to chapter 15, you're in chapter 12, turn over to chapter 15, because Paul in Galatians 3, in the verses we just read, makes reference to a moment out of chapter 15 as well. When you turn over to chapter 15, 10 years have passed from chapter 12. Abraham is now 85 years old in chapter 15, and he has no heir yet. God has not made the promise Come to life, yes. There's no son. There's no heir. And Abraham's wondering about that. Ten years, been waiting for the promise. And it's on his mind. Verse 1, chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Because God knows. He's wondering, what's going on? Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. 
And he believed the Lord. And the Lord counted it. His belief, his faith, counted it to him as what? As righteousness. Here's the verse that we read in Galatians 3, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul is quoting Genesis 15, 6. Moved by his own purposes, by his own plans, by his grace alone, his love alone, God reiterates this radical promise that he made in chapter 12. And what does Abraham do for his part? What does he do, church family? He believes, right? And nothing else. He just believes. He takes God at his word and he believes. We call that faith. That's it. And God counted the faith of Abraham, we're told, as righteousness. We'll get into more of what that means in just a second. But now it'll be another 15 years before the promised heir that Abraham is believing God for. Isaac comes. It'll be 15 more years. Abraham will be 100 before uh, Isaac is born. But the point is that faith alone is all that Abraham brings to the table in his relationship with God. Just faith in what God says. Now, before we go back to Galatians, let's go to one other place that throws a little more light even on what we're thinking about here. Run to the right in your Bible or on your phone or your iPad, whatever it is. Run right to the New Testament and find the book of Romans, chapter 4. Romans, chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then comes Romans. The very same thing that Paul is fighting for for the Galatians in the letter we're studying, he also fights for for the Romans using Abraham as an illustration. Someone has said that in many ways the book of Romans is the book of Galatians on steroids. And, And I really believe that's true because, man, it just explodes the book of Galatians when you read Romans. So as we try to always do, once again, let's let Scripture interpret Scripture here. And so what we just shared in Genesis, Paul now wants to explain to us a little more fully here in Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law. It didn't come through rule keeping and good works and trying to be a good person, but through the righteousness of what? Faith. Does that sound familiar? That's exactly what Paul's been saying to us in Galatians. Now jump down to verse 18. In in hope, he, that is Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Remember the stars in the heaven? That's how many offspring you'll have. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. She's 90. She's never had children. Can't have children. Verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words... It was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It, 
this righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you see what I mean? Romans explodes what we read in Galatians chapter 3. Now, having read this, return with me back to Galatians 3. Let's read those four verses one more time since we've got a little bit more to work with now, having been in Genesis and now in Romans. Verse 6, Galatians 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, verse 6. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. That was Genesis 12, 3. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, counted as righteous before God, along with Abraham, the man of faith. You know, church family, so often... Uh, and I'm really guilty of this. We, we read through passages of Scripture and we just fly through them. And we don't stop. We don't ponder what's being said. But here in this moment, if we slow down just long enough to, to kind of put some meat on the bone, there is so much here that, that it just takes your breath away. So let's do that. Let's let's take a look at these four verses. In verse 6, Paul says, As a proof that salvation is through faith alone, not working hard to impress God, but through faith, Paul says, Abraham did what? He believed God. And it was, what's the next word? Counted to him as righteousness. That word, counted, literally comes out of the local accounting office of Paul's day. In the old King James Bible, which some of you may still uh, be fond of that, that translation, you might be holding in your hand right now, that word counted is translated reckoned. The reason it's not translated that way here in the ESV that we're using, or maybe your NIV or others, is that reckoned sounds like Paul's from Texas. And <laughs> so they didn't want that anymore, right? No, no that's, not, that's not true. That isn't at all true. It's, it's that the fact that the word reckoned is a, is a word that's kind of fallen out of common use in our day. So, so here the word literally means to, to have an account into which something gets credited. It means to put something into an account that wasn't there before. That's what this word means. Let me give you an illustration. If someone had a million dollars and they decided that they wanted you to have that million dollars, would that not be a very special moment in your life? Yeah. Uh, You you don't earn it. You you don't deserve it. But they want you to have it. They want to give you a million dollars, totally their choice. What do they have to do? Well, they have to take that million dollars and they have to transfer it into your what? Into your bank account. They have to transfer it into your account. When that happens, it is instantly your million dollars. It's credited to your account. You're given something that you didn't have before, and now in one stroke, you are a millionaire. Wow. Would you love to experience that? Just just experience what that would feel like? Yeah. 
the money's yours, and, and you did nothing to get it, but it's yours now. And, and not only that, but you get all the benefits that come from this. The money has been credited to your account. So what does it mean then that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness? Well, it means just this, that at the very instant when Abraham heard God say, Abe, I'm going to lead you into a new country, and there I'm going to grow you into a great nation, and out of your nation I am going to bring one who will be a spiritual blessing to people all over the earth, The moment Abraham heard that and believed God for that, he was by God declared what? Righteous. Having a right standing before God as if there was no sin in his life. An accepted stand before a holy God and no works, no rule keeping, no performance. Just Faith in the promise of God. I'm going to do this, God says. And Abraham says, I believe you. I totally believe you for these words. And God says, that's what I'm looking for, Abraham. Faith in my promise. And I declare you righteous on the basis of your faith. You follow? You follow the moment? Notice Abraham doesn't become righteous. The moment he believed the promise of God, he didn't become righteous as if he had done something to earn that or merit that designation. He is counted as righteous. There is a difference. He was given something that he did not have before, a right standing before God. God treated him as righteous based solely on his trust in God, that what God told him, God would do, and Abraham believed. And God says, I I credit righteousness to your life. This is big stuff. When the Bible tells us God credits Abraham's faith as righteousness, he means that God's going to relate to him from that moment on as if Abraham were living a righteous, sinless life, even though he still actually does unrighteous things and is a sinner in his heart and in his behavior. God credits to Abraham a righteous standing, though it shouldn't be so, because he's not righteous. God's grace says, Abraham, I made you righteous on the basis of your faith. Now, we have a New Testament complement to this as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You know these two verses. We'll put them up on the screen for you. What does it say? For it is by grace you have been saved through, through faith. And this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, right? You didn't earn it. You didn't earn it. It was given to you. It was put into your account, not by works, so that no one boasts. All we can do is say thank you. That's what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? Isn't that what it means to be a Christian? Through faith in Jesus, his death and his resurrection on our behalf, in our place, the righteous life of Jesus is credited to our account, even while we ourselves are still sinful and imperfect in our thoughts, in our actions, our behavior, our words. God confers on us a legal status we didn't have before. 
Through faith in Jesus. He credits or counts Jesus' righteousness to our account. So that when God looks at you, He sees who? He sees the righteousness of Jesus. It just blows me away that God would look at me and see Jesus like that. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This verse seems to find its way almost every week into our study of Galatians. But can we read this one aloud together off the screen? Let's do it one more time. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become what? The righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Did I say first? What did I say? Did I say first Corinthians? Yeah, I don't know. doesn't matter. It's 2 Corinthians 5.21. And this is why Paul then says in verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith, those of faith, who are the true sons of Abraham the sons of Abraham. The Judaizers were saying, look, you need to become Jewish. And Paul says, no. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Paul says, what matters is not physical descent. What matters is not you as a Gentile trying to live like a Jew. What matters is your spiritual descent from Abraham, having the same faith that he had in the promise of God, that he would send one who would bless the whole earth, who would bless the world. That's what matters, having faith like Abraham's in the promise of God, which is exactly what he points out in verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Paul says, God preached the gospel, who Jesus is and what he's done, appropriate into my life by faith. That's what the gospel is. God preached the gospel to Abraham. When did he do that? Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. In you shall all the nations be blessed. Through Jesus. Through Jesus, the one who would come and bless the whole earth through his death and resurrection, the gospel was preached. And Abraham believed that gospel promise. Though it was very limited for him, he didn't understand a whole lot in that moment. He understood enough. God proclaimed it. God promised Jesus. Abraham believed that. And faith alone was counted to him as righteousness. God was going to justify the Gentiles through the Lord Jesus Christ. That was promised in Genesis 12, 3. And they'd be made righteous just as Abraham was made righteous when they put their faith in the promise. You follow with, you following with me? The logic of Paul? Paul wraps up this defense with verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, how liberating do you imagine these four verses were? To the Galatians. Paul shows them and he shows us that real, genuine, saving faith is believing the promise of God. I will send a Savior and his name is Jesus. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Notice that it does not say that Abraham believed in God, though he certainly did. It says that he did what? He believed God. Is there a difference? Oh, I I hope you, you, you say yes, church family, because there's a real difference here. It's very important. Believing in God is not saving faith. James will tell us in James chapter 2, verse 19, that even the demons believe in God, right? They believe in God. The problem is they don't believe God. And right now, right now, in our community, and billions of people around the world believe in God. True? They do. They believe in a, in a supreme being or a higher power, but they don't believe God when he says, I've provided my son as the payment price for your sin. He died in your place and rose from the dead and he's alive forevermore. Trust in the work that he has done for you rather than trying to work yourself into a place of salvation because that can never happen. Don't just believe in God. Believe God. On your note page, just a a statement that you can turn around in your quiet time. It's worth spending a little time massaging this on your own. You can't believe God without believing in God. True? But you can believe in God without believing God. Is that true? It is true. Maybe I just described someone in this room. You have believed in God all your life. In fact, you can't think of a time when you didn't believe in God. From your earliest days, you've always believed in God. Listen, listen to me now as as though I were speaking to you with the voice of God. Let, let God speak to you using my voice because what I'm about to share to you comes straight out of his word. As if God were speaking to you. If you've been believing in God, but not believing God, listen, God would say, believe in me. Don't want you to stop doing that. But believe me today. Believe me when I say I love you and I sent my son Jesus to die on a cross for you to pay a sin debt that you could never pay. Believe me when I say that. Believe me when I say that you must place your faith in my son Jesus and what he's done for you and never again try to impress me with what you can do for me. You're a sinner and you you cannot impress me. So stop trying. Believe me when I say that if you'll accept what Jesus has already done for you, I will credit to your life forever the status of sinless righteousness that is in my son Jesus. I will give his righteousness to you. I'll put that on your account. Believe me for that. I will then be with you. I will live inside of you. And I will help you live this life. 
and I will share my heaven with you forever. Believe me. Don't just believe in me. Believe me. Has that happened for you? Do you believe God today? Do you? Perhaps for someone in our room today, this is an eternity-changing moment. Let's pray for them right now. And Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I just humbly come to you. I'm so, I feel so inadequate when I think of of even remotely intimating that I could talk for you. I, I just know that this is what you've said in your word, and so I'm repeating what you have said. And so for that one who might be in this room this morning, walk through these doors today, somehow believing in you, but also thinking that they have to earn their way to you, I pray that you would just open their eyes and their heart their mind to understand that what you're looking for is that they would simply believe you, not just believe in you. Believe you that Jesus died for them. If that be you this morning, if we can help you grow in this new understanding of who Jesus is in your life and what he's done for you, don't leave today without letting us know of your decision and and we'll help you. We really will help you. Heavenly Father, we have the truth. We have life. We have, we have the truth in Jesus. May we be bold to share it. And thank you so much for crediting our account with the righteousness of Jesus so that when you look at us, you see him. How glorious it is to live in such freedom and truth. We say thank you. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand together.